Hello and welcome to the Serious Games Podcast. All about playful methods for interactive trainings and facilitation. Let's get started. And today, welcome to the next episode of the Serious Games Podcast. My name is Julian. I'm a facilitator and trainer-trainer from Berlin, Germany. And for this episode, I have invited Donna. Donna is the founder of Agile Play Consulting based in... New York. So happy to have you with the Serious Games podcast today. Hi, Donna. Hi, Julian. It's uh, my pleasure to be here and um, I'm looking forward to the podcast. Great, great. Donna, I mean, it's, I, I've been doing some research and we've met, I think, five or four or five years ago in Germany yeah. during the um, Play for Agile conference. And I guess I saw some pictures on a pre-conference improv theater uh, workshop we did together. I can't remember, but they they looked really nice, the pictures. Yeah, that was the first time for me experiencing Play for Agile, and it really changed my world because uh, the amount of brilliant people and brilliant ideas that get generated there is just phenomenal. Absolutely. Look, I'm going to put um, the link to the conference um, in the show notes. So if, if everyone wants oh, no, to no, so... don't do it because it's, it's already too popular. So don't <laughs> tell anybody. That, <laughs> that's true. But you can still do some research and see, look at the pictures, look at the tweets and, and, and the uh, session documentation. So many things going on. Yeah, um, of course, of course. Now, just kidding. Now, look, there's so many things we could talk about, right? Um, uh, training from the back of the room, for example, right? You've been mentoring me um, for, for uh, the uh, trainings that I gave here in uh, Berlin. We could talk about uh, psychological safetyness. Um, you've been doing lots of talks. I've seen that online about that. Um, you've developed some games. And, of course, you developed and created, uh, founded your own company, which is called Agile Play um, uh, Consulting. So, so many things, but today uh, we're going to talk about uh, your development, the DevOps cultural simulation. Maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit because I, I had a feeling I missed a couple of things. Um, <laughs> could you also give us a little like 60 seconds pitch on the game? How do you explain it to someone who has no idea what, what this is about? Sure, of course. So um, my name is Dana Pulaeva. I'm um, a national coach um, and DevOps coach um, based in New York. And um, I think what I bring to um, this space is that I have a technical background and connecting with people who are uh, coming from the operational side or from the development side and bringing the gamification aspect of it. That's really what uh, comes together in the DevOps culture game. And the game is focused on uh, showcasing the behavioral change that um, is expected to happen with DevOps and introducing technical practices in a way that they're very accessible to non-technical people. All right, that, that's the 60 seconds version of it, right? But now we have some time <laughs> yes. to um, you know, get into the magic of the game and, and see how it works. So look, what do um, you need to prepare? How do you prepare for a session where you want to use your, your simulation? So there is actually a packing uh, checklist that I developed because um, the game is a um, true simulation in the sense that uh, things develop uh, in the game uh, progressively. So you start with one set of materials, and then as people experimenting, they're running through the iterations of the game. I, as a facilitator, introduced new um, rule changes. I introduced new materials. So 
they don't get overwhelmed with everything that they need to use in the game. It's just like in a video game, something pops up and they need to respond to it and then next thing happens and they need to respond to it. But you know, the very basic things, you need to have Lego, you need to have chocolate and then a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> but there is a packing checklist <laughs> that goes with it. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at it now and I'm going to um, add the link obviously to the show notes. So uh, classic Lego bricks, um, just some uh, separate uh, separate packed candy, uh, chocolate bars, uh, things like, like that. You need rubber bands. Mm-hmm. Um, packages because what people are doing in the game um, they are creating Lego animals and um, they're packing them into packages and then they, there are certain other steps that they need to do to get those packages from um, their own table which represents development table all the way to business which represents production and they go through um, pretty much it's a simulation of the entire product development life cycle and so every table is the separate group in the organization and so that's why every table has different uh, set of steps that they expected to execute and different set of material because the table that has um, Mm -hmm. that plays in operations they are the one who are doing things like packaging for deployment or building infrastructure so again it's all simulation so they don't write a single line of code it's all um, if they're building um, let's say a development environment they're using uh, masking tape to create a square in front of every person to simulate this environment and so even though it's all simulation we still run into the same challenges as people run in the real life and uh, what's funny about um, this whole experience is that people act the same way in the simulation as they do in the game and then um, it's mm. much easier to debrief on their uh, behaviors in the game and learn something from it and discuss improvements because it's all in the game right it's not real it's just a simulation but the lessons they get from those improvements in the game they're very applicable to their day to day Okay, that sounds good. And now, look, you, you mentioned a lot of other things. Um, so Lego, <laughs> we have the chocolate. In fact, it was called, um, wasn't it called Le- DevOps with Lego chocolate and scrum games? It, had a, it went through a, a renaming or rebranding. Now, look, um, when did you come up with this idea? And, and uh, how did you um, start yeah, crafting and iterating on this game or simulation idea? Mm-hmm. So the idea of the game came up. Um, idea, I came up with the idea of the game around uh, 2014, and really the inspiration for it was uh, release of uh, the Phoenix Project, because at that time um, in my professional career I went from being a developer for almost 10 years to accepting position of a DBA manager, not realizing what that truly is. As a developer, I had very little idea of what it is, but hey, it's a step up, <laughs> it's a progression, it's the management position, and of course I can manage DBA. So two years of that and you know, understanding that, oh my God, that's not at all what we think about operations. So living through the pain of um, being in an operation side and supporting this you know, production environment and then coming across Phoenix Project and um, reading about <laughs> the same struggle, but in much more accessible way. And that desire to share that information with others who didn't come through the same experience as I had, um, that's what really um, started this idea of let me think about the game. Because first I was just trying to run around with the book and you know, say, yeah, this is a good book, you need to read it. And no one wanted to read it. 
just because people are busy, right? So then we have this internal learning um, um, initiative called ThinkShare. And so I presented there in a lecture format. That didn't really connect with anyone. We did a raffle. Again, nothing. And so at the same time, I was um, taking gamification course on Coursera. And that's why I said, okay, let me try something else because just everything else is not working. Let me try that. And that's how the first version of the game uh, was created, really for the purpose of introducing my internal colleagues to uh, ideas in Phoenix Project. But then once the first version got created, um, around the same time, I was um, still exploring, can I even speak at the conference? Uh, like, who am I to say anything? So it was like my very first uh, venture into offering something to um, public audience. And so that was my first session at uh, Scam Gathering uh, in New Orleans, uh, very first version of the game. And of course, it's very different from what it is right now. And um, I truly... Um, give a lot of credits to people at Play for Agile because after playing the first version of the game in uh, New Orleans and in Toronto, I brought it to Play for Agile and that's where <laughs> this magic happened because what happens to Play for Agile, you bring the game that you think is done and ready and complete and people play it and they trash it completely, they break it to the pieces and they, they come up with the most brilliant ideas as to how you could experiment with making it better. And so Getting those ideas and pursuing them and developing them further, that's really what changed the game and made it better. And then since then, I'm continuously improving it and getting the feedback every time I run it. But yeah, that, that was the first major step towards where uh, the game is right now. Yeah, so it's been quite a journey. And in fact, oh, yeah. I was doing some research online and I saw, uh, you know, um, still the, the, the tracks and, and, and the early versions online and people writing about it and tweeting about it. Now, how would you, um, in the latest iteration, actual <laughs> version, how would you describe the um, learning goals of the simulation. <laughs> so the learning goals is understand the labs culture principles and understand behavioral changes that have that required um, for organization to truly adopt DevOps. Because what I'm seeing right now, the more I run the game, the more I experience um, different organizations that um, I bring the simulation to, the more I see that even though DevOps is not a new concept anymore, people still have a lot of uh, misunderstanding around it, a lot, a lot of um, under patterns. Like a lot of times you see that they create a separate DevOps team, which <laughs> in the game, you will see it right there because it starts with every table is a separate department. So now if in addition to separate devs, separate apps, you bring a separate another table, now it's DevOps table. So now you introduced yet another hope for people to jump through as they're delivering their products. So that's mm -hmm. what's really interesting. And um, one of the goals of the game is make it visible and um, make those anti-patterns um, apparent so people can learn from it and make their implementation of DevOps better. Okay. All right. So then um, let's talk about the, the, the structure and the setup of the room. Okay. So I understood there are different tables and they have yeah. different roles. Um, yeah. How are the participants grouped and what material do they then specifically need on those tables? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's interesting because when people come to the room, they're like, 
what is that? All, what is all this madness? Because um, what I do, I actually set up the rooms in such a way that they resemble the product development flow. So you have um, certain tables that become uh, development tables. Then um, there is one table um, or two, depending on the size of the room. So usually it's about two or three development tables. There is one operations table. And then there is one table that plays the role of business. And then uh, to make it visually distinct and to help with cleanup, I have the table closed of a different color. Uh, so when people come into the room, already they see in this splashes of color everywhere because, um, you know, the operations table is red and then a business table is green and development table is yellow or purple. So it's already... Uh, <laughs> giving them that uh, jolt of a color and, hey, this is going to be different. This is going to be fun. And so um, the reason the, the um, room is set up that way because I want to start from creating a bottleneck in the flow. And that's why I have more developers in the room than I have operations role. And so we want in the first simulation to feel the pain, feel the pain of the current organizational setup, current organizational culture, so then we can improve through the simulations by introducing DevOps practices. And so uh, in terms of the setup, um, development tables have these packages of Lego, chocolate, um, small plastic bags where they will be packing things in, um, little numbers um, to apply to each um, Lego animal because a number will become a security bug because I also have a security engineer in the uh, game. So technically you could call it DevSecOps <laughs> game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People, you know, add, nowadays they add so many acronyms to that original DevOps, which just becomes interesting. So in any case, um, operations have a different set of um, material on their table because what I want to create, I want to create that tension between what developers need and don't have and what operations can offer, but they don't know whom to offer it to. And so just like in the real life, you have all these many developers and they have very small operations team and a lot of times they don't talk to each other. And that's what we want to showcase in the first um, round of the game, that there is a lot of dysfunction. There are uh, all these tables that are silos. So everyone is operating their own world. And I actually instruct people to, hey, when someone comes to you and asks for help, you can help. But don't go volunteering your help, because that's not, not how we work in the traditional organizations, right? And mm -hmm. then the cool thing that business has, they have money. Okay? okay. So which is interesting because they're fake money. <laughs> it's just, they look, they look real, but, you know, they're, they're fake. And it's funny because in the initial version of the game, I didn't have that. And somehow, I mean, it was fun, but when I brought in those fake money and people were able to get paid for what they delivered to the business, oh, my God, the whole dynamic just became so much more uh, pronounced and people were incentivized with those fake money. It's just interesting, right? And this whole new dynamic, um, um, the whole new dynamic uh, emerged uh, where when people get paid, it's developers who get paid, not the operations. And so now think about the day-to-day -day when um, the project is delivered who gets the celebration? Who gets all the you know pizza and drinking? 
development, right? And the operations, where are they? They're supporting it in production right now because it's crushing, right? So it's that difference in incentives, bringing in those fake money just highlighted that um, divide between the incentives um, within the operations and development. Okay, so um, we have different tables, we have different roles, uh, we have different colors, different material. Um, So the participants are literally then, depending if they come from one team or one company or just randomly, uh, so they sit at a different table. And is there like something like an instruction, something that they can read or how how do they learn? How do they um, uh, get used to their or sneak into their role that they're now about to explore during the upcoming season? Simulation. Mm-hmm. That's a great question because that's another thing I iterated a lot on. And the initial version had a very lengthy written instructions. And so first thing that people did with these instructions, they threw them away. <laughs> and then they still had tons of questions, but whatever effort I put in spelling out everything, that just did not get used at all. So I had to change it and see how can I make it better. So um, I came up with two things. So one is this one pager of the game flow in the first sprint. So that's how they see how all the uh, different roles uh, interact with each other, what's the overall flow. So even though they're sitting in the separate tables and they are their own organizational silo, they see how the operation um, happens within the entire organization. And then another thing that helps them, every person get the individual role card. And in that role card, they have a name for themselves. So that was the developer or cyber security. So some names that are catchy and identify their role in the game. Um, also on that card, they have a description as to what they need to do. And also who are they either dependent on or who depends on them. So they have that a little bit of visibility um, about their role and kind of the boundary roles around them. I also mm-hmm. walk them through the entire flow, and um, it's a lot of information. And I tell them upfront that imagine you are new hires in this large organization. So it's a situation where you don't know anybody, you don't know what you're supposed to do. So this is your new hire training. <laughs> And so that helps them to relax a little bit and you know, get the information better. And then as I walk them through the flow, I ask them to raise their hands. So they're actually um, not only paying more attention because now they have to respond to when their role is called, but I also um, um, help through that um, exercise and help people in the room to see who they need to work with in this large space. Because again, mm-hmm. there are about nine different roles in the in the game, so you need to know who to get to, who to connect with, and Absolutely. at the end of the explanation, I tell them this thing. So, if you at this point, you all should be fairly confused. If you if you're not confused, you were not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because now look, uh, we have. Three different tables. Um, mm-hmm. Some tables are there twice in the room, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we have nine rolls. How yeah. is, is there like a, a signal or a something that like a hat or something? How do I know? Okay, I'm gonna um, add the picture to um, the, the the show notes. Um, but for example, if I'm Patricia Product, right? Mm-hmm. How do all my other colleagues in the room know that I'm Patricia? You have a card, and a lot of times, um, if it's at the conference, people put the cards in their name badges, which then becomes even better, because imagine for these 
um, three, four hours, they become different people. They're no longer those people who came into the simulation. They're Adam Adman, Patricia Product, and they call themselves by those names. And it just becomes truly that you're embracing a different mindset. You're becoming a part of this magic circle of a game, and you're being transformed for that duration of the game, which is pretty cool. Okay. All right. So I got my name. I got my table. Uh, I got the explanation of a new hire. I'm fairly confused. And yeah. um, you walked us through the first flow and the first sprint. So what happens next? Now, how, how do they start um, simulating? So the, before um, the flow and the simulation, I um, asked them if they have any questions. And I used to just kind of keep it open and then it would just go on and on and on because they're all confused at this point. And all, everybody has questions. But what they don't realize is that until they start playing, they're still going to have those questions and it doesn't matter how deeply I'm going to explain it. So now I changed that and now I'm saying I will take three questions. And because now they're limited, <laughs> they're afraid to ask questions in the sense that they don't want to use those three questions opportunities to ask a question that's simple. So now, now they're very careful about what to ask. And then, of course, once they ask those three questions, then I start a timer and I explain that they have, um, and it's usually, depending on the duration of the session, it's usually either 15 minutes or 18 minutes iterations. And every iteration is structured just like a typical Scrum. So they have time for sprint planning. They have time for on the, the sprint itself. They have time for sprint uh, review and retrospective. And I use interval timer so it's on the screen and it goes through these intervals they've been highlighted but i don't hold the end of every interval so there is only as a facilitator i only tell them about beginning and the end there is a scrum master role that's in the game and when i talk about um what are the different roles doing and how they're connected i don't describe scrum master on purpose because i want them to tell me what scrum master is going to be doing Mm -hmm. So one, of the, questions, one of the three questions, Samuel Scrum, yes. So the person who is playing Samuel Scrum, uh, one of the three questions, they always say, so you didn't mention anything about Scrum Master. What am I supposed to do? And then I turn it over to him. So tell me about your real life. So what does Scrum Master do? They remove impediments. Great. So that's what you're going to be doing here. You're going to be removing impediments. What else? Oh, they know everything about Scrum. Yes. So our version of Scrum is this this interval timer. So you need to be watching those intervals and making sure that things they happen as they need to happen. So those kind of things. That's what happens. That's how they start the game. Okay. And then, of course, I walk around to make sure that um, whoever is having questions or they're confused, I'm helping them um, get unconfused. <laughs> Okay. And look, um, we, we have the, the, the tables, the silos, right? Mm -hmm. We have the yeah. roles. And uh, for example, Nanda, when you were talking about Samuel Scrum, I mean, of course, they can ask questions, but you need to fairly have a rough understanding of, um, um, let's say, agile practices, uh, roles, uh, the, uh, the Scrum framework, uh, the DevOps philosophy before you start, uh, before you would use the simulation? Or could you uh, play this um, simulation with a, a team or with a group of uh, people who have never, ever heard about um, DevOps and um, agility before? So um, 
they people um, need to have at least a little bit of understanding of Scrum framework. Um, I played it with the groups that were very new to Agile, so I just had to spend a little bit more time introducing Scrum because um, roles are based on, on roles in Scrum, and so that's why if that's why if you don't know, never heard of Scrum, then you just as a facilitator need to. Um, introduce those concepts to people because I don't explain to them how to run retrospective. I assume they know. If people don't know, then, you know, I need to spend a little bit more time um, helping them understand what is that they would need to do in the game to uh, do the simplest version of a retrospective. Right. Okay. Good. So um, what is their first deliverable then? I mean, what do they do? Um, so everything is explained. The three questions are asked. And um, how do you kick it off? So I just tell them go, <laughs> and that's what they. <laughs> I start a timer and I say go, and so they start working together. And so the first sprint is really a lot of confusion because they still don't know who they need to talk to. And that's why I'm going around and like, hey, you, hey, developers, you're already building something. You still need environment, so go and find that Adam admin. He needs to build it for you. So reminding people if they forget. So, um, but. Typically, what needs to happen is that um, every developer needs to get um, his or her own development environment built by Adam Admin. So they have to find the person who is playing that system administrator's role and bring them over to the table. Um, then as they start building the, all the other animals, another thing that comes up a lot is that, hey, we don't have any instructions. Dana, where do you have pictures what to build? I have no clue what to build. Go and ask business. Business is the one who knows what needs to be built because they are in touch with the market. So I have no idea what kind of dogs or cats or the market needs at the moment. Ask them. So that's the um, twist that they are not expecting. They think that they are going to get instructions or picture and they're just going to start manufacturing those little animals. But the point of the game is that they have to have that conversation. They have to be in touch with the market. They have to respond to the changes in the market. And that's what mm. is communicating to the developers when they ask for it. Right. So there's all that you will get the information, but you have to ask for it. And that's what they're learning through the game, that the more they collaborate with each other, the more they interact with people outside of their silo, the more effective they become as an organization. Mm, okay. And another thing, there are rules that um, I tell them about upfront, but then there are some rule changes that I introduce through the game. And those rule changes are only going to specific people. And those people change their behavior based on those new rules. But everybody else doesn't know about that because, again, that's silo. It's a siloed organization. So if Adam Admin knows that, hey, actually, we just introduced code freeze, nobody else does. And so that disconnect between what operations is looking for, which is stability and reliability of their production system, and development team that just wants to crank out the code and you know get things done. So that's what exactly what I want them to see in the first iteration. And that's what happens, especially if um, the room is large, so it's even more obfuscation of knowledge and information. What ends up happening is that... Um, Developers build a lot of things and they send it over to two operations and then they continue building. But then we already introduced code phrase. Developers don't know about that. Operations knows. So when the sprint is over, 
um, I started debriefing and I do it in a very specific way. So I first debrief development tables because I want everyone in the room to hear that developers think that they actually delivered something and they're happy about that. So that's what I asked them about. So how do you feel? Did you get things? Um, did you build anything? So yeah, they built so much stuff and we delivered and all that. And so then I turn over to business because I know business got nothing. So I turn over to business and I say, so you guys must be very happy because I heard developers built so much stuff. So you must be selling things in the market, left, right, and center. And they're like, what? No, we got nothing. And so you should see the faces of developers at the time because they're like, mm-hmm. What happened? We were working hard, right? So what happened? Why is the business unhappy? Where where all the products that we built? And then, of course, we turn over to operations and everything is piled up on that table. Like No one is looking at that. It's just there. And that's what a lot of times happens in our day-to-day life, right? We build the code and we throw mm. it over the wall. And if we are a traditional organization that doesn't use um, DevOps practices, that's what happens. Mm. Developers are busy, but business is unhappy. Absolutely, absolutely. So look, they start playing, you literally step back, of course, you clarify, but there's nothing that you would actively facilitate? Or do you encourage them to to speak, to ask questions, to move around the table, to find the people? Um, And again, there might be more than one role in the room um, Mm -hmm. and to talk to them, right? But you're, you're not actively helping them or giving them any hints? Um, so the thing that I'm so I'm introducing those surprise instructions. Um, I'm checking that everyone is um, getting what they need to do. So I'm looking for confusion. If there's some confusion, I come to clarify. Also, um, as of late, I started paying more attention to the emotional state, which before didn't even occur to me. Now I'm recognizing that when people are getting uh, uncomfortable or anxious, which is very interesting uh, to me to start observing that. And um, I'm making sure that they're comfortable. They're either understanding that this part of discomfort is part of the game and then they will improve um, in the next situation. So this is something that I want them to bring up in debriefing and I mention it to them. Or if, let's say, um, it's this discomfort they're experiencing is not part of the game, then I want to make sure that I understand what's happening for them. And so, again, bringing it up in debriefing and discovering a new um, lens through which to uh, look at this overall experience. Mm. And is there a specific role um, that is meant to have lots of stress and to struggle? Or does it do, would you say it really depends on um, the group dynamics, the setup, the knowledge, and how everyone approaches his or her own role? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think I mentioned at the beginning that people act the same way in the game as they do in real life. And so every one of us comes with the baggage of our previous experience. And so a lot of times in the game that comes up, and uh, just to give an example, when we go into second um, iteration of the game, that's where we start talking about introducing the very um, basic concepts from DevOps and um cross-training people, so expanding their skill sets, building those T-shaped skills where your primary skill is deep, but then you're acquiring those additional skills that are helping you to be uh, more effective in the DevOps organization. And so what happens then is that as operations cross-training more people in development team, now people in development team are able to step in and help out uh, in that initial bottleneck that we had, but now operations... Um, sometimes people start feeling like, 
I'm losing my job. And when I noticed that that dynamic is um, coming up in the game, I wanted to make sure that um, this is something that we are going to debrief on, but also I created a new version of the game that introduced a different element. Um, so let's say you had the skill of manual environment creation, and now you taught others how to do it. So now in a way, you don't need to have that skill anymore. So are you out of job? No. Now you have space for learning something new. Now you can learn about fun, mm-hmm. or chef or all those amazing skills that are hot in the market. And so I introduced another element to show people that as this old skill of yours is given away, now you're free to learn more skills that are useful and more interesting and you have more opportunities and space to experiment. So that's mm-hmm. something that... By looking at the emotional state of people in the game, um, that gave me an opportunity to bring new elements in the game to make it more effective. Okay, understood. So that's iteration two or sprint two, then, right? Um, how many uh, sprints do you do you simulate? Um, does it depend, or do you, would you have a recommendation to oh do at least two, do at least three? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the the next sprint about? Yeah, so um, uh, that's another thing I experimented to see how uh, many sprints um, are best. Um, so what, it looks like the three sprints are best. Um, some people do four just to um, split the changes that we bring in every sprint into more sprints, kind of introduce changes gradually. But overall, three sprints work the best. So um, first sprint, we're just simulating the um, current state in the traditional organization. Second sprint, we start introducing DevOps practices, and specifically, we um, introduce um, the cross-training, so people are getting cross-trained, expanding their skill sets. Um, we also introduce the shift left on security, which means that um, if in the first sprint, um, the security scan was happening at the end of the sprint, um, and security scan is simulated by um, those little numbers on the um, animals. They are security um, features. And then the role um, of the security engineer is um, Sarah security. So Sarah has a catalog of numbers that are security bugs. So basically, when she runs her security scan, which is looking at the large package of those um, little packages with animals and chocolates and identifying those numbers, comparing it with her catalog, it takes time, right? And so not only it takes time to do it at the end, also if she discovers an issue in that large package, entire package goes all the way back to development has to be redone. So just like in real life. And so that's the change we introduced in the second sprint. We're saying that instead of doing it at the end, how about, Sarah, you go and you sit with the people at the development table and you tell them up front what those security issues are so they can actually start building quality in. They can start avoiding putting these security issues from the beginning. So those are the mm. things we do in the second sprint. And then in the third sprint, we introduce... Uh, continuous delivery <laughs> and we introduce containers. So all these technical um, terms and technical um, practices, but we introduce them in a very 
uh, playful and non-threatening, non-technical way. And so that's why people mm-hmm. see the benefits. They see how if we were building large packages in the beginning, but now we're able to do one piece flow, how much more productive we become, how much faster we're able to amplify that feedback loop from uh, the business, how much uh, more agile we become because we're able to respond to fluctuation in the market. Because they also have a market fluctuation there. So we have the whole thing. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay, uh, now it's getting not only complicated, but complex, <laughs> I would say. Huh? So, Adi, any other surprise instructions? You just mentioned them briefly, uh, but what other surprises are there in your simulation? So, another surprise is that business is getting instruction to start changing prices. So, I mentioned briefly there is this uh, market fluctuation. So, we start with the um, animal exchange board, which lists um, different animals that need to be built in the market and what is the batch size that the market is willing to accept and then how much are they willing to pay for it. And at the beginning, because it's there already, so everyone assumes that that price and animals and everything is static. The surprise instruction that business gets is that, hey, market is changing. So start dropping the prices on everything that you have on the board. Start introducing new animals. So start paying more money for for the new animals. So we want to um, convey the information to development that, hey, the faster you get things to the market, the more you're going to be compensated for it. The longer you take to deliver something, the higher the chance that that thing is no longer valuable in the market. Or maybe it's not needed at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. So look, I'm... Um Looking at my notes here, so you were talking about three sprints. They roughly take about 15 to 18 minutes. Um, of course, there's the intro, the setup, um, you know, the learning, the Q&A questions. So we're roughly talking about 90 minutes right now. Um, or how much time do you need for three sprints? And then to start the general, the simulation debriefing. Yeah. So um, the timing is um, anywhere from 90 minutes to four hours. And the reason why I say four hours, because um, a lot of times I not only play the game, but I also introduce DevOps concepts before every sprint. And so it's interesting because the first version was just, this is the game, play it, fun, didn't learn anything. So now, okay, let's see. Now I need to introduce practices. Now introduce theory. So let me introduce theory first, and then we play the game. Fun. We heard something in the beginning, forgot everything. We played the game, was fun, didn't learn anything. And then I um, came across training from the back of the room. And as you know, there is this whole notion of there is a connection, then there is uh, the, the concept, the concrete practice, and then conclusion. And so now I broke my lecture and game into pieces and then mix them up and so mm-hmm. overlaying these uh, two seemingly <laughs> you know different uh, things and bringing them through the training the, from the back of the room uh, structure that's what really made it effective so now we start this connection then i introduce a little bit of uh, concept and then there is concrete practice is the round of stimulation and then there is a debrief which is your conclusion right and then the next um, round of simulation uh, before that uh, I introduced the next piece of um, concepts and then again second round of simulation helps them to solidify the understanding of those concepts that I just introduced and then again mm-hmm. we're going to 
faith and so so on and so forth so that's really mm-hmm. what made it so very powerful that um 4c framework plus the good debriefing Right. Plus, um, of course, the ideas that your players will have, all right, and uh, the improvements that will emerge uh, throughout the flow and the work and the experience they're making in, in the room during the simulations. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So a lot of things that are then happening. I mean, I can hardly imagine. I mean, I played around. Um, I, I did, There was a little debriefing or a little retro. And now you're trying to um, give us uh, some more input, introduce us to do some uh, frameworks and practices. But I might be just eager to, wow, I want to uh, improve. I want to do another simulation. Uh, I want to find out by myself rather than you as a facilitator in that matter and trainer um, are telling us how, how do you make how do you calm the, the the crowd down how do you make sure that they are um, ready to take in new information from you before the next round starts <laughs> so that's actually a very good point uh, the way how it's structured um, there are a lot of um, traps set up in the game so people who are not very uh, highly experienced agile coaches, they fall in those traps. And so when they fall in those traps, they um, debrief and the learnings that come up a lot of times align with what I'm going to introduce them to anyway. So, and I mentioned, if you're not a very experienced agile coach, so anytime I bring this to I play for agile, you naturally, you guys see through all the traps <laughs> and you avoid all the traps and that's where, you know, it becomes interesting. But in, uh, in a lot of senses, um, when we do the debrief and people come up with ideas, um, because they're feeling that pain, right? So they're feeling the pain of, hey, we build everything and now we run the security scan at the end and then we have to rebuild everything. And so one of the ideas that they, they come up, they say, can we have security uh, tell us up front? And so then when I introduce the new change in the game, I tell them, okay, so you have great ideas, so how about we use them? So a lot of times I... Um, take the ideas in because they're already in the game. They already planned for that. So it's just um, I'm anticipating a lot of um, those um, improvements that they would suggest. Sometimes mm-hmm. they come up with totally new improvements and say, hey, let's experiment with that. So it's um, fairly open in terms of um, what you can experiment with. And sometimes um, they come up with something that, they're like, oh, that's so cool. Let me bring it into the next version of the game. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Great. So let's talk about the, the 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 debriefing and you know once the simulation is over, um, uh, what would you say are, are yeah typical conclusions participants draw, um, and what are typical or maybe you even have a favorite debriefing question that you would then ask after the third or fourth sprint. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'm experimenting with that as well, and I'm actually very inspired by Debriefing Cube, um, so I'm going to try to use that in the next uh, simulation that I'll run, because I realize that I'm not asking them about the goal, but they understand the goal very clearly, and so that's already given me ideas, so thank you for that. That's a really cool technique. Um, the one that I've been um, favoring lately, I'm bringing liberating structures into um, debriefing, so instead 
instead of having uh, me asking a question to the entire audience, I give them an opportunity to um, use something like one, two, four, all, where first they start with um, writing down the ideas uh, on the post-its, and then they come together and they discuss it in pairs, and then they come together as four, and they discuss it as four, and so then they bubble up those best learnings, and then they share it that way. So that I usually use one, two, four, all after um, one of the iterations. Um, then at the end of the entire game, I want them to debrief on the entire experience because I want them to learn through the game and make changes through the game. But then when the game is over, how do we bring it to our day-to-day, right? Because it's not about having fun. It's about learning from the game. It's about connecting with what am I going to do differently when I go back home because I experienced the game, because I learned something in the simulation. And so what I found that it works really effective is user experience visual, where um, I get these five chairs with one chair is empty as an invitation for people to join the fishbowl. And then I invite everyone to be in the fishbowl if they want to share the experience. And I tell them that, only people in the fishbowl can speak. Even if I want to add something, I have to be sitting there. And so that, again, works as a very good um, natural um, way to um, amplify voices for people who are uh, more on the introverted side and uh, dampen the voices of those who are willing to talk forever and ever and ever. And mm-hmm. then uh, another technique that I've been using is asking them a question, if you were 10 times bolder, what would what um, experiments would you run in your organization? And so there is another technique from Liberating Structure 2510 where, again, it, you're generating tons of ideas, you're rating them all, and then you're uh, looking at the top 10 ideas. And those ideas now, they're kind of anonymized because you don't know who they came from, but um, they've been seen and rated by um, everybody in the room. Mm. So what you would notice uh, from that is that... Um, a lot of times this game is brought into organizations when uh, there is a lot of um, anxiety about the process change. There is a lack of psychological safety. And so um, all these techniques like Monty for All or User Experience Fishbowl or 2510, they all are, are helping with anonymizing things, helping with... Um, making it um, psychologically safer to um, generate ideas, to share your ideas. And so there's that focus on how can I change even the dynamic in the simulation to make it more open for people to help them debrief and truly connect the experience in the game with their day-to-day. Because again, if they're not um, feeling safe to talk about the experience or learning in the game, they won't be able to open up and they go back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. So I'll um, add all the um, links um, to the techniques and methods that you um, mentioned uh, to the show notes. So the debriefing cube, um, liberating structures, maybe specific liberating yeah. structures. And as we all know, you're all also um, organizing a, a liberating structure user group, but there are plenty of, of, of groups and meetups uh, around mm-hmm. this planet. Um, so what else can you do now? I, I imagine they they went through the fishbowl, they went through um, 
coming up with with ideas how to um, improve their day to day. Um, what else do you do to make sure that what they experience in the room together with you is translated into new behaviors and experiments in their day to day? So one of the things that is thinking about of what would what would they do differently and um, you know identifying actions that they would take. So it's not just coming up as idea, but also um, if I'm running it in the, um, as a private workshop, then it's talking about um, who would volunteer for um, moving this idea forward. So identifying kind of the dot voting and the best ideas and helping them select what they want to uh, start acting on. Wow, that's a lot of information. Uh, the <laughs> picture is, is growing in my head. Do you have like an ultimate like facilitation tip for um, this simulation? Something uh, that you tell all the um, facilitators and trainers that are learning how to use this simulation, what they should definitely do or not do? Yeah, so... Um experiment because this is something that um, you know works most of the time but depending on your audience you may want to um, maybe downplay some of the elements of the game and you know one of the example I'll give um, there is a character that's called Harry Hacker he is a hacker he makes things worse so he is breaking into environments and all that so that's depending on the audience you may just forget that character altogether because sometimes you come into a group and they're struggling. They're struggling with putting two blocks together just because it's their first simulation. They have never been part of any other simulation and it's difficult for them. So don't make it complicated. Simplify. Give them just the very little or the smallest possible um, option of the game that will get them to the learning outcome. If the group is more senior, hey, by all means, maybe even introduce your own ideas and play with what they're coming out in the debriefing and see how you can change the game based on their ideas because then it will become even more um, effective for them as a learning because we are putting in the ideas that they came up with. And to give you mm. uh, an example, one of the groups... Um, Even though business was asking for specific um, animals, one of the groups said, hey, we built this unicorn. What do you think? They didn't ask for it, but, but we built it. It's like, hey, go and ask if they would like to take it. It's, the, it's your prototype. So it's your innovation. If you had, now that we introduce all these practices, you had more time to innovate. So go and ask them if maybe they, they like it. And so, of course, business was stunned. Like, oh, my God, it's a unicorn. So just listening and experimenting, playing with uh, ideas that people bring in and definitely paying attention to the emotional state. Mm -hmm. All right. And any other um, yeah, special experiences you had? I mean, since 2014, uh, any, any yeah, unique experience with the simulation that you might want to share with our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's like every time around this is very unique because it's based on the background people bring. I think the most uh, unexpected um, was when I was running it in Tokyo. And um, the people who came, it was supposed to be uh, a conference where participants uh, were English speaking. But then what I didn't know that at the last minute, they opened it up to external people outside of the company. And then in Japan, at that time, um, English was not a language that was used um, very um you know, very, very, very much outside of uh, the, the company where I was working at that mm -hmm. time. And so 
I'm in the, in the audience, I'm introducing the game, and then I see that people are kind of responding in a strange way to what I'm saying, and so I'm asking the person who is with me, so um, is there a problem? So, yeah, they don't understand English. <laughs> so, okay, great. <laughs> so how do we do it? <laughs> because they don't understand English. I don't speak Japanese. Wow, what so, did you do? <laughs> so luckily the person who was uh, there with me, he knew both languages. So we literally had to do translation. And then at, after we explained the game, after that people just were able to uh, you know, start using it. And uh, debriefing was again a, a dual um, kind of um, role game. But you know, mm. overall people even without knowing much English through that behavioral changes, they still were able to get the value out of it. But it was interesting. You're there to explain and, <laughs> you know, nobody <laughs> understands what you're explaining. Yeah. Absolutely. And you sometimes do, you know, if there's a, um, a language barrier, you sometimes do lose the in-between-the-lines kind of information yeah. and expressions. Yeah. But, but still, it's great to, to hear that the gameplay and the dynamics and the outcome um, still worked, right? So, yeah. look, I've um, seen several pictures online of this simulation. Um, and, and, and somewhere, I mean, with a room full of people and tables, and mm -hmm. there were others more focusing on a small group. So how many players um, would you recommend to be best? I mean, uh, is there a minimum number so that you can fill all the eight roles? Or would you say um, you can scale it up to, I don't know, 50? That's a great question. So uh, ideal room size is about 30 people because that's where you have enough people to simulate the large organization dynamics, but it's still manageable for one facilitator. Uh, the largest number of people I ran at this was um, about 100. And there, um, luckily, I was already um, experienced running this game, so I knew what to outsource to volunteers, like distributing some of the materials. And so some of those things where I need to run around the room and give it to every table. So that's where I could just ask for help from the volunteers and um, they helped me there. Um, so definitely if you're running it for the first time, don't do it with 100 people. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> And so 30 is a sweet spot. Um, the smallest number of people that I run it with uh, is seven, which means it's less people than roles, which means that, you know, I'm asking people at the beginning, which dysfunction would you like to explore? <laughs> Because as mm. you know, in a lot of organizations, you have Scrum Master and Product Owner being the same person or Scrum Master and Developer being the same person. And that has its own implications. And so... I, in the case that I get very few people, and usually it's like if it's a small organization and um, they bring me in to run the game and it's just whatever, you got seven people, you need to still help them learn, uh, even if they're a small, um, small group, uh, then mm. that question, which dysfunction would you like to score? And so I emphasize that okay. this is not the way how it should be, but in a lot of cases, organizations do that. And so these are uh, um, the situations where specific dysfunctions are coming out. And so we debrief on that mm. as well. So see, it's like every um, group will be different and every group will be giving you an opportunity to show case um different flavor of learnings mm -hmm. 
Wow, Dan, I have two more questions, the final two questions. So um, after playing so many rounds of your simulation, uh, developing it, iterating on it, uh, improving, um, what for you is is the secret sauce of the uh, DevOps simulation? What is the difference that makes a difference in the simulation? (laughs) I think it's the fact that it's so close to real life. Um, even though it's a simulation, but behaviors that are coming out, um, the challenges that are in the game, they're very real. And a lot of people uh, recognize those challenges from their own organizations. I think um, the fact that um, I brought in that technical background and experience being on both sides of operations and development, that um, and lots of um, examples and elements of the game, they're actually based on the the true stories, I think that um, aspect that it's so real, it helps them connect with on the day-to-day, but at the same time, it's fun. So we're playing with Lego, we're not dealing with servers and, uh, you know, programs, we're dealing with Lego and chocolate. So it's fun and light, and at the same time, it's serious um, because it's giving them real learning. Mm, okay, great. Thank you. And and uh, if our listeners now want to learn um, more about the simulation, read about it, um, maybe experience for for, for themselves, uh, what what can they do or what should they do? I know that you will be coming. I guess that's uh, early February two thousand and twenty. You will be um, in uh, Germany. Uh, but how can um, our listeners learn more about this simulation? So um, there are many options. I'm actually running it around the world. Uh, so Germany is one place where I'm going to be in February. Then in March, I'm going to be at Agile India, um, again, running this game and also offering the trainer-trainer session. I have a couple of other ones coming up in New York and Las Vegas. So there are definitely many places. But if you can't get to any of those places, then um, there is an option to um, learn online. There is also um, information available on that. And then if everything else fails, there is a book that's uh, on Amazon that's describing a 2016 version of the game, which is still valuable. It's still useful. So I know a lot of people who have never met me in person, never been to my simulations, and people from New Zealand or China, and they bought the book and they're running the simulation now. Yeah. Many options. Okay, great. And once again, I'm going to add all the links to the show notes. Uh, so just click through um, the links and the show notes. Wow. Donna, thank you so much uh, for all those valuable insights into um, your your simulation. And um, yeah, all the best with the further uh, iterations and improvements. I'm looking forward to meet you once again in person um, somewhere around this planet. Thanks a lot to New York. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always fun to have conversations with you and I always get inspired by, you know, all the ideas you have. And hey, thanks for debriefing you. But it's a fantastic tool um, for anyone who is running simulations or games. I think it's a, a good opportunity to find what is it that I'm missing in my debriefing. And as I mentioned, even before this um, you know, session, as I was getting ready, like, yeah, I think I should start debriefing on goals in my game. So thank you for that. Azan. Thanks for inviting me. You're more than welcome. And of course, thanks to all our listeners. Look out for our next episode. My name is Julian, and I'm looking forward to the next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You can reach us at hello at keylearning.net. We're looking forward to your suggestions, comments, and feedback. 